Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and go to the book of Acts, chapter number 14. Acts chapter number 14, and we're going to begin here uh, in verse number 19. I think we have verse 21 on the notes. I want to back up just a few verses this morning uh, to just to kind of establish the context a little bit more. Uh, so we can kind of get engaged with exactly what's going on in Paul's life. <clears throat> Acts chapter number 14, uh, and we'll begin there in verse number 19. The Bible says here, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as his disciple, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And that, uh, and when they had ordained <clears throat> them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they, commanded, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And I want to speak this morning on this thought, developing a sustaining faith. And let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, our time this morning. What a blessing it is to come together to be able to worship you in song collectively as the body of Christ. Oh, Lord, I pray now that we would open our hearts to you, not just as a church, but individually. Lord, may none of us think that there's not something here that we could be encouraged by uh, or that we could be reminded of that would help our walk with you. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts. If there's anyone here this morning that's never trusted you as their Savior and they're uncertain about whether they would spend eternity with you in heaven, or whether they would be cut off from you and spend eternity in the lake of fire because of not having Christ as their Savior. I pray that you would make that uh, apparent to them this morning. Holy Spirit, that you bring conviction to their heart, that you would open their eyes to the truth of your word, and that you would set them free with the truth. When I pray that the rest of us this morning, those that have known you, would be challenged and reminded that our faith needs to be a faith that is growing, uh, a faith that will sustain us through every endeavor of life. And Lord, that's the faith that, <clears throat> that we must walk in and, and exercise if we would successfully navigate the life that you've given us to live. Lord, help us work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, faith, I think it's fair to say that we understand this morning is, is really the quintessential element of the Christian life. If I uh, do not live in faith, exercising faith, I'm not going to get very far. I'm not going to be very successful in the Christian life. The Bible tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. Far too many Christians try to walk by sight rather than by faith. And so we have to understand this morning that faith without question is essential to the Christian life. I can't do anything without it. The grace of God is amazing. The love of God is wonderful, but without faith, I'm disconnected from them. God loves us so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to come and to give himself a ransom for our soul to pay our sins penalty. But if I'm not willing to place my faith in him and accept that gift, it doesn't really do me any good. It doesn't matter that he sacrificed himself if I'm not willing to accept 
the gift by faith. He's given us grace to live. He's given us the ability to, uh, to lean upon him and to have his leadership and guidance. But if I cannot and will not place and exercise my faith in him, again, I'm really cut myself off from that. It's not that God isn't willing, it's I'm not willing. And so I have to understand this morning that if I would have a life of faith, that that faith isn't just a faith to trust him, but it's a sustaining faith that will bring me through life. When you look at the context here of what's taking place in the Apostle Paul's life, he has been preaching. He's on the first missionary journey of three. Uh, he's worked and preached in Iconium. He's been to Lystra uh, and God has blessed the work, but there are people following him. And when they follow him there, then they stir up the crowd and they stone him. And so the way and the method in which, <clears throat> in which stoning was done in their time was generally the person would be taken out to a big pit uh, and the crowd that would stone them would be up above them. Uh, and the, especially if it was an execution that was an accusation had made, the, generally the accuser had to be the one to take the, the stone and first to throw, throw the first stones. And so that's one of the reasons why Jesus said, uh, who will cast the first stone uh, at times whenever people were confronted. Uh, and so with Paul's case here, we don't know that that was exactly the method. They perhaps were just a mob in the street and they just pelted him with stones. But they did it until they believed him to be dead. And he clearly was at the very least unconscious. Personally, I believe he was dead and that God resurrected him. Uh, but we don't know that with absolute certainty. So, but we can ascertain here that he was at the very least unconscious. They, they take him outside, they throw him at the gate, and they leave him there believing him to be dead. And so he gets up uh, when the disciples basically come to collect his body uh, and to carry him off. He he comes to himself, he stands up, he gets up, he's, uh, he's able to, uh, to carry himself about, at least on some level, and they leave and they go to Derby and he preaches there. And so uh, the last thing that you would expect after being stoned and left for dead and then going to another city and preaching is that whenever he finished preaching there that he would turn around and go back to the place that just stoned him and threw him out and left him for dead. Uh, you would think that he would be trying to put some distance between himself and that crowd. But Paul is concerned about the well-being of those that trust in Christ because of uh, his ministry and how God used him. And he was more concerned about developing them than he was about his own safety. And so Paul preaches and under the leadership of the Spirit of God, he turns and he goes back. And it tells us clearly why he goes back in verse uh, 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to what? To continue in the faith. You have to understand, if I'm one of those people that just trusted Christ and I saw the man that preached this message to me stoned and thrown out of the city, perhaps I'm not even aware that he's alive. And now, he, the, the, how confident am I going to be to live this new life of faith? Or am I going to hide and am I going to go underground or am I going to deny that I knew anything about them? Uh, I mean, after all, the man that came to teach me that could have been my, my leader here to develop me and grow me, he's gone. And perhaps to their knowledge, dead. 
So how likely would they have been to rise up and imperil and endanger their own life by living a life of faith? Now, I don't know that they weren't, but Paul felt compelled to go back and to tell them, continue in the faith. He's encouraging them. He goes back confirming the souls of the disciples in verse 22 and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean, uh, and he's not saying that I have to work my way to heaven. He's saying that the Christian life is going to be a struggle. That as I serve and as I love God and as I grow in the faith and as I share the gospel with a hostile world, that the hostile world is oftentimes going to respond uh, not with love and compassion, but with hatred and with anger and with violence. And clearly that is still taking place in the world today. Different parts of the world is far worse than it is here. Uh, but without question, if I, if I don't live a life of faith, I'm never going to get anywhere for the glory of God. You see faith all the way back to the early Genesis. Really, you see it in, this, in, in even in the Garden of Eden especially. Uh, but you see it with Noah at the ark. You see it come to prominence in the life of Abraham. And Abraham is referenced throughout uh, the rest of the Bible. We believe him and know him to be a great man of faith. And we come to the understanding through the scripture that, that salvation is, by, is provided to us by the grace of God. But it's accessed by faith for by grace are you saved but by faith you believe and so we have to exercise faith to trust him and we have confidence in God because of faith you know if we were to go around this, this morning and just interview some folks and say okay who do you have faith in? Invariably, some of us are going to say the Lord, but outside of the context of our spiritual lives, there are people that we would look at and say, well, I have faith in this person or I have faith in that person. Faith is something that we generally think of and somebody will say things like, uh, I'm a person of faith. I'm uh, reading a book right now that, that's you know, written by uh, someone who is or was a pastor who's still very involved in a lot of ministry. But the book, that this particular book that he wrote is more to the business world. So he's not denying that he's a pastor, but he's kind of trying to downplay that angle. Uh, and, and he's just, I'm a person of faith. And if you're a person of faith, and so we, we hear that thrown around very loosely in our culture today, uh, that someone would say, I'm a person of faith. What are they saying? In essence, what they're saying is I believe in something that's, that, that perhaps I don't fully understand. Now, it could be in anything to, to depending on the God that they choose to believe in or to trust or, uh, or what have you. But the concept is the same. I believe this morning in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Holy Spirit. I don't understand them. Now, we have some level of understanding. We, we can understand that God loves us and we can see God at work in our lives and we can see God's hand in creation if we're willing to look at it openly and objectively uh, and not through the bias of what uh, of the corrupt world has taught us and tried to taint it with. Uh, I, I, can, I can see that, uh, but, I, but I can't really fully comprehend it. I can look up in the sky and I can see uh, the moon and I uh, can deduce that it's orbiting the earth because of its phases and its cycles. And I know that to be true, but honestly, I really don't 
can't comprehend how it stays exactly within that range and that the gravity of the earth is exactly what it needs to be. And, and we could build on that and go farther out into the universe. And there are things out there that we can look up into the sky and we can see, yeah, I can see that. So I believe it, but I really don't understand it. So on some levels I can see, but on other levels I believe by faith that everything's just going to keep doing what it's supposed to do. I mean, really, what choice do we have? And if the earth, if the, if the moon were to tumble off into space, we'd be in trouble. Uh, I don't think that we really fully understand how much, the, how important it is to the impact on life on earth is. If, if the earth were to somehow get out of its orbit around the sun and we got a little bit too close, we'd cook. And if we got a little bit too far, further away, we'd freeze. Uh, I, we just, we can look at that and say, yeah, I, I understand it, but I don't fully understand it, but I accept it. Well, what choice do I have? It's going to do what it's going to do, right? But when it comes to whether or not I'm going to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, I have absolute choice. I have to decide, do I believe in him? Do I trust him? And that's the other element and the aspect of faith. That generally speaking, we would say, yeah, I've got, I've got faith in so-and-so. If I, if I give uh, someone a task to perform as a pastor and they come in and say, Pastor, I, I want to do something around the church. Or I, I, I want to go and do this and, <coughs> and help. And I assign them that task. And uh, someone were to come in and say, hey, how's brother so-and-so doing or sister so-and-so doing with this task? And I'd say, well, uh, you know, it's coming along and it's, it's, they're working at it. And say, do you think anything's going to happen? Yeah, well, I have faith in them that they're going to stick with it till it gets done. In other words, I believe in them. Now, that belief is based upon a track record. That belief is based upon a personal interaction and observance of, uh, of how their character is and what their work is. You understand what I'm trying to say this morning? On some level, I trust God because God is God and because the Bible tells me beyond, and he's beyond anything that I could ever comprehend. But as I grow in his grace, I might have a growing faith because my faith has been proven. He's been proven. He's been tested. Pastor, how do you believe that God's going to do this because I've seen him do it too many other times to not believe that he's to believe that he's not going to come through now. So on one hand, I'm believing in him and have my faith in him uh, because of uh, what the word of God tells me and what I've experienced. But as I go through life, that faith is growing and developing if I'm exercising it because I'm learning to lean upon him and to believe in him based not only upon what the Bible says, but based upon personal experience. He's proven himself trustworthy. He is a trustworthy God that I can put my confidence in. Now we come to salvation through faith. We also understand that we have confidence in God because of faith and because of it's working in our life. Then we have to realize that our, the success or failure of our Christian life is then hinged upon the amount of faith that we're willing to place in him. If I am not willing to exercise great faith in God, then my Christian life will be limited. If I place the greater faith that I place in him, the greater that I walk by faith, the greater that I'm willing to follow him, then the greater things that God can do in my life. If I want to succeed in the Christian life, I must live a life uh, that is a life of faith. And that living that life of faith, if I'm walking in faith, my faith will continually be strengthened in God because God proves himself over and over again. 
This morning we realize, according to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, that without faith it is impossible to please God. I can't please him if I'm not willing to live by faith. And the more faith I live by, the greater faith I extend, the greater his, his, he's pleased with me. Do I want my God to be pleased with me or am I content uh, to just go through life uh, haphazardly without concern as to whether or not God is paying attention to my life or not? Jesus responding to, uh, to two blind men in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 29, whenever they approach him, they come to him and they say, you know, Master, uh, you know, if you will, you can heal us. If you, would you, can you heal us? And he just looks at them and he says, according to your faith, be it unto you. Amen. Now he could have just said, you're healed. He could have just said, you know, sure, I'll heal you. In other cases, he handled it in different ways. Sometimes he uh, would just speak. Sometimes he would touch their eyes. Sometimes he even would make some mud out of the ground and uh, pick up some dirt and spit in it and stir up a little muddy mixture and rub that on their eyes uh, and say, well, what's the difference in all that? I don't think it really matters. If God wants to heal, God's going to heal. Uh, but here he says, I'm glad that you recognize that I have the power and the authority to heal you. But do you really believe well, we believed enough to ask, but do you really believe according to your faith, be it unto you? And immediately they received their sight. They were men that had some measure of faith. Jesus responding to the disciples who are marveling at his power in uh, Mark chapter 11 around verse 22. They, uh, he's, he's cleansed the money changers. He has cursed the fig tree on his way in and then on the way out they see the fig tree dried up from the root and, uh, and <coughs> Peter internalizes that and, uh, and, and thinks about it. Then they, they say to him, Lord, the, look at the fig tree that you cursed on the way in here. And he says, according to your faith, be it unto you. He tells them, have faith in God, more specifically. Have faith in God. If you would have faith in God and you would command this mountain to jump into the sea, it would do it. It's according to your faith. And so he responds to them and says simply, when they look and see this miraculous thing, have faith in God. When we look and we don't know what to do, have faith in God. When we're following the commands of scripture and we don't see how it's going to turn out or it's not making sense, have faith in God. And so have faith in God. Faith is power unto life. If I'm not willing to live in faith and walk in faith, I'll never experience God on the level that God wants to be experienced. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, uh, we're warned that faith is not an easy thing and it's something that, uh, it's that, that people get distracted away from and, uh, and we, we try to twist it and contort it. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Uh, and so there are going to be people that we've looked at and people that we've held in high esteem and uh, people that have taught us even in the past that we're going to look at and see them err from the faith. I can look back over the years at a number of men that I thought were godly pastors that I held in high esteem and revered or uh, teachers in uh, a Bible college setting that I held in high regard and, and, and high esteem that, uh, that have failed the faith, that have left the faith, that have gone uh, to 
uh, to uh, so-called ministries that are not, uh, not really honoring the Word of God uh, and are twisting and contorting different doctrines to kind of suit their needs and their wants or uh, their own self-promotion. Uh, listen, the Bible tells us that that's going to happen. It doesn't mean that it's easy to accept, but we shouldn't be fully surprised when it happens because he tells us, listen, the, the life of faith is not always an easy life, and there are going to be people who are going to depart from the faith. There are going to be some that once walked in faith who will depart from it. There are going to be some who are going to err in 1 Timothy chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me, in verse number 10 he says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, and while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. In verse number 20 and 21 he says, O Timothy, as he, as he concludes his first letter to Timothy, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. There simply to this morning are going to be some that are going to err from the faith. There are going to be some who are going to grow reprobate or they're going to uh, twist and contort the faith in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 uh, and verse number 8. Now Janus and Jambres withstood Moses and so, uh, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. They're not willing to see uh, what's plainly on display in front of their face. And they uh, will withstand the truth because it goes against what they want the truth to be. Uh, and so the truth that we want to be doesn't matter. There's only one truth and his name is Jesus. And he's unchanging. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul says to him, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So Paul's warning Timothy, he said, listen, there are going to be people that you had a lot of confidence in that are going to turn against the faith. Their faith is going to be weakened. They're going to become corrupt. And uh, you stay the course. I have stayed the course. And he's saying, essentially, I have, Timothy, set an example for you. And it doesn't matter whether you understand it. Just stay the course. Just embrace that which you've been taught. I have kept the faith. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 tells us, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. I want to hang on to my faith without wavering. Don't waffle on your faith. It's a famous story of Margaret Thatcher whenever the Falklands War in the early 80s was taking place and uh, the, the war with Great Britain and Argentina and uh, they had lost a ship, the first ship I think they'd had sunk in combat since World War II. And Parliament was getting a little bit uneasy and uh, Margaret Thatcher, the Prime Minister, the Iron Lady of England stood up before Parliament and said, this is no time to go wobbly. Hey, listen, the, 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 whenever your faith is tried, that's no time to go wobbly. When your faith is put to the test, that's no time uh, to get weak in faith and weak in the knees, but hold, hold fast to our profession of faith without wavering. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 22 in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul gets up by the gate after being stoned and left for dead, goes to Derby and preaches and then returns again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Would we this morning continue in the faith?
What does that mean exactly? To continue by definition means to maintain without interruption a condition, course, or action. To maintain without interruption. There are a lot of us that throughout our lives, we've had a life of faith, but there have been some interruptions along the way. Interruption, we've been interrupted by sin. Uh, We've been interrupted by depression. We've been interrupted by a defeat. Uh, We we have a lot of interruptions. Paul's saying here, continue. Without interruption, continue your faith. Continue the course of action that draws you to Christ. It means to keep up or to maintain. In other words, Faith must be maintained. Faith doesn't just happen. And faith that's unexercised will atrophy. If you, if you get, grow inactive, as we often do as we get older, and then you go and become active, then you're going to be in pain. I remember at one point I was in the gym uh, playing basketball with my boys whenever they were young, and I was much younger. Uh, and so we were in the gym playing basketball, and uh, my assistant pastor was there playing with us. And, uh, and his dad came down to visit and to preach, and his dad was probably at that time about my age now. And, uh, and we played basketball, and he did okay, he held his own, and, uh, and he, hadn't, he hadn't done anything athletic in, in probably several years. And, uh, and he got through the day, but man, did he pay for it for the next few And he said to his son, he said, I'm never doing that again. (laughs) Why? Because the muscles that are left to themselves atrophy. And a faith that's left to itself will atrophy. It has to be developed. It has to be worked out. It has to be maintained. And so we talk about continuance and we're talking about to keep up or to maintain our faith. Now it also has the, 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 the meaning of sustenance or sustaining. To sustain means to supply, uh, to supply with sustenance, to give support, to, to buoy up, or to support the weight of. And so I, if I, my, I have to support my faith. Well, pastor, faith comes from God. Now I understand, but we have a responsibility to invest in our faith as well. And we're going to look at that this morning because the, the concept is I can't please God without faith. I will not succeed in the Christian life without a faith. I cannot weather the storm and I can't get through hard times if my faith will not sustain me through those difficult times. And so when when I realize that, I have to do what needs to be done to build my faith. Now, we understand this morning uh, that, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us that. And so when we understand that God tells us from his word that if you want to have faith, it comes from the word of God. Then I can draw some obvious conclusions here. It's amazing how uh, we we culturally today want everything spoon fed to us. Schools used to teach us how to think. Now they teach us what to think. Uh, And so the concept here is that uh, God, God gives us plenty in the scripture, but he also gave us a brain And we shouldn't be surprised that he expects us to use it, (laughs) to think and to reason and to to study and to to be growing and developing. And so I have to understand this morning that if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, what is saying to me is that number one, faith must be fed. If I want to have faith this morning, I've got to feed it. If I want my faith to be strong, if I want it to grow, if I want it to develop, it's got to be fed. It's got to be nurtured. So how do I go about that? Well, we understand that it comes from the Word of God. 
Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So how does that relate practically into my life this morning? What things should I and can I do that are going to get the word of God into my heart and into my mind so that my faith has grown and that it's developed so that when it needs to be exercised, there's something there to exercise. And so the th really three parts of this, and, uh, and I think all of them are really basic. If you've got some spiritual understanding this morning, uh, none of these are going to be uh, any kind of a, uh, a new concept or idea to you. But the Bible tells us in, in 2 Timothy in chapter number uh, 2 and verse uh, number 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and I need faith, and I want to study the word of God to get faith. Study the word. Listen, it's every Christian's responsibility to study the word of God. And by the way, casually reading it at a pace at which you can retain little or nothing of it is not study. Study to show thyself approved. It means dig deeper. Hey, it's a great thing to read the Bible. I encourage people to read the Bible through every year. When you read it through a couple of times a year or more, it's amazing how many things start connecting and coming together. But it's more important that you study. Study, you can't study it without reading it, but you can read it without studying it. And so study to show thyself approved. You want faith this morning? Study your Bible. Get in the book. And more importantly, let the book get into you. Let the book captivate your heart. Don't just read, but immerse yourself in the stories. Imagine yourself in the, in the circumstance, in the situation. Picture in your mind's eye, Jesus hanging on that cross. Go back and look at some historical evidence of uh, what those methods were and things that they went through so that you can gain some context and understanding of the price that was paid uh, for your soul. Study. Be fed by study. And we've got to feed our faith this morning. And where does that begin? It begins by, by study. But it also includes preaching. And the world rejects preaching. A lot of Christians today reject preaching. There are a lot of churches that uh, they're canceling their Sunday night services. They're, uh, they're canceling their Wednesday night services. And a lot of churches today, they want to just have uh, one preaching service on Sunday morning. Some churches will have uh, the same sermon preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and other things going on. Others will just not have those things at all. Uh, and, and you say, well, Pastor, the Bible doesn't say that you've got to have this service at this time and this service. I understand that. But I also understand that, that the Word of God has to get into my heart and into my soul uh, well, I can study it at home to do that. That's true, and you should. And you can't really be the Christian that you ought to be or grow like you should if you don't. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 tells us, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Amen. Hey, listen, if you don't love preaching, you're not going to get very far in the Christian life. Why? What's so great about preaching? I don't know. I don't understand it. I just know that God said that to those of us that trust Christ, that believe in him, it's the power of God. There's just something about God stirring our hearts and our souls whenever the word of God is proclaimed and Jesus preached. It's kind of hard for me to imagine an eternity in heaven in which Jesus and Elijah and Moses and others aren't preaching. We go and we look and we understand that if I would grow in my faith that I must be fed and it's not good enough to just get fed 
by myself that I need to be preached to. We must grow by preaching. Thirdly, I would say that we must be fed by meditation. Just preaching is not enough. Just personal study is not enough. But I need to take that which I've studied and I need to take that which I've proclaimed and heard proclaimed and I need to meditate thereon. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. In verse 9 he says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. How can I go out in courage and strength if I don't trust that God will go with me? How can I trust if I don't know what his word says? And what he's saying here is that I must come to him and I must be fed the word of God. And I must have a steady diet of the word of God. And I must go to God's word and feed myself. But I also must allow God to feed me through the preaching of his word. And then in Psalm 119, uh, he tells us that we uh, must be meditating uh, on his word. In 119 and verse 148, he says, Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. Am I meditating on the word of God? Am I drawing my attention to it? Do I stop and contemplate what I just read, what I just heard preached? Do I go back over it in my heart, in my mind? And do I stew over it? Do I study over it? Do I plead with God uh, to reveal a deeper meaning to me through it? Am I allowing God to work in my heart? I'm just saying this morning that if you want to please God and you want to have a sustaining faith, then you must feed it. Well, I'll feed it my way. Go ahead and feed it your way. You're not going to get very far. Man's all the time trying to say, oh, that's great truth, but I'll do it my way. Do it God's way. We don't know more than God. But pastor, I don't understand how just reading, I don't understand how preaching, or I don't understand how study is going to really help me that much. Like you say, you don't have to understand it, and I don't have to understand it. It's what God said to do. It's about trust. It's about exercising faith. So if I would have that kind of faith, I must feed that faith. Secondly, that faith must be exercised. Doesn't do me any good to accumulate it if I don't do anything with it. If I just store information in my mind and in my heart, but I never put it into use, it's not going to do me much good. <coughs> I've got a, every year I have to, I have to get uh, about two or three bags. I don't have a very big yard, so it doesn't take much of it, but I'm glad because it's kind of expensive. Uh, but it, it kills fire ants and it kills weeds and it fertilizes the grass. Last year I was kind of broke and I was thinking I'm not going to do it this year. 
and I usually have to do it about, about any time now would be good, honestly, but uh, within the next month or so, for sure, I need to go pick up a couple of bags of it. And so last year I decided, you know, my yard's not that bad. It stays pretty green. It's probably not going to get that out of control. By, by the end of June, my front yard was almost completely overtaken with clover. And so I had to go get some and I had to put it out there. And then my yard was more bare than it usually would be because uh, the clover died, but the grass took it a long time for it to catch up. And then, uh, you know, we had some dry spells and, uh, and things of that nature, and I'm too cheap to water it. <laughs> you know, for a while I had those bags just sitting in the garage. I bought them, but I didn't want to use them. I could have put them out a lot earlier than what I did. But I just thought, yeah, I'm going to wait. They were there. They were purchased. They were in the garage. They weren't doing any good. It's amazing how we think that just because we've accumulated some biblical knowledge that it's going to do us some good. It's amazing how we've convinced ourselves that if we just sit in a pew and listen to one sermon a week that it's going to do us a lot of good. Listen, if all you get in your spiritual life is this 45 minutes on Sunday morning, I'm glad you're here, but honestly, it's not going to do you that much good. It's better than nothing that might keep you alive for a while, but it's not, you're not going to be healthy. And if you just want to, well, I don't have time for church, so I'm just going to read a little bit here and there. And we know how that goes. Starts off with well-intentioned and good, and we, we read pretty good for a week or two or three, and then we start reading a little bit less, and then this happens and that happens, and we don't have time, and we shortcut that, and pretty soon we're out of the habit, and now it's been weeks or months since we've last read more than a few verses at a time. If all of your spiritual life entails is just reading a page and a 365-day devotional book that we gave out at the beginning of the year, if that's the extent of your walk with God, is reading one page out of that, I'm glad you're reading it. I hope it's a blessing to you. I, I'm, I'm confident that it can help you, but you're not going to be healthy. Why? Because it takes more. Yes. I've got to meditate. I can't meditate on that which I do not know. I generally won't think about those things which I haven't been inspired to think about. So when I study the Word of God, and when the preaching provokes me to focus on certain areas of my life within a given week, and then I read the Word of God and I pour it in there and I meditate on that, it's amazing how God takes that and uses that to, to kill the junk out of my life and to fertilize my heart and my mind for the things of the gospel. I'm saying this morning that faith must be exercised. You look at Abraham's life, you look at all of the great uh, the heroes of the faith throughout, uh, throughout Hebrews chapter 11, and what you'll find is a people that they just they didn't have only faith knowledge or a knowledge of faith. They had an exercised, practical, everyday working faith. Abraham's faith wasn't, yeah, God, I believe you. Abraham's faith was, I believe you enough that I'm going to get up and I'm going to go somewhere and I don't even know where I'm going. And you'll let me know when I get there. Okay, just tell me which direction. Moses, go back where? They threw me out of there. They ratted me out. I tried to defend them and they, you want me to do what? God, that's Pharaoh. 
He could have me killed like that. Just go. But I can't talk. You were trained in all the ways of the Egyptians. You were a leader amongst them. And now you want to tell me that you can't talk? Just, just, okay, okay, okay. I'm angry at you, but here comes Aaron. Aaron will be your mouthpiece. Aaron will talk for you. You look at Elijah. You look at Elisha. You look at the difficulties that they had. Listen, these are not men whose life were easy. These are men whose lives were, were filled with challenges. And as they're filled with challenges, they exercise faith. Why? Because exercise builds strength. It's really pretty basic. Exercise builds strength. It doesn't really matter what age you are either. You take someone that's elderly to this morning that, uh, that has a hard time just walking in and out of the building. Uh, and you'd say, well, pastor, you know, they don't have a lot of strength. Well, let them get really sick and be in the hospital where they can't even get out of bed. And the first thing that the doctor's going to do is put them in rehab to get some exercise. Their exercise may not look like the 20-year-old in the gym, but they're getting some exercise so that they can build some strength back in their legs. Wherever stage you're in of your Christian life, exercise, the exercise of your faith is a crucial element in your spiritual well-being. Why? Because if it's not exercise, I'm not, I won't be strong. Exercise builds strength. And by the way, exercise also builds confidence. The belief that I can do. Some of us don't try because we don't believe that we can. Some of us don't try because we don't believe that God will. Try Him. Amen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. <clears throat> when I was in the military, one of the things that we did in recruit training, we had a circuit course that we did multiple times uh, a week, it seemed like, and uh, certain exercises that we did all the time, and you'd run from this station to this station and do this exercise. But a couple of times, we did a thing that they called the confidence course. If you ever go to San Diego and you land on the runway, if you look out the window, you can see what I'm talking about. It's right on the chain link fence separating uh, the, the confidence course from the runway there. And it was filled with all kinds of terrifying things. If you don't like heights, you don't like the confidence course. And I don't like heights, and I didn't like confidence course very much. And one of the first things you had to do was climb this big tower, probably about 40 or 50 feet tall, that was just telephone poles, straight up and straight across. And you had to go all the way up and all the way over the top and all the way back down. And there were about three or four different things scattered in with all kinds of other things that you had to do. But they call it the confidence course because if you could go and you could do that, then you would have confidence that you could go and do the other challenges that you would meet uh, as you went to other things and learned other things and other traits. Point is, is that doing built confidence. Doing something that you didn't think that you necessarily could do. Doing something that challenged you. Doing something that caused you to have to overcome some fear. Doing something that pushed you to your physical and mental limit. What did it do? It, it built confidence. If you want to have confidence in God, exercise your faith. If you want to have confidence in God, stretch your faith. Don't just stay within your comfort zone all the time. Step out by faith. And I'm not talking about just foolishly tempting God. 
I'm talking about as you've read and you've prayed and you've meditated and God speaks to your heart through your study, through the preaching, through your meditation on his word. And he nudges you in your heart to step out and do something that you wouldn't ordinarily do. That's the exercising of your faith. And the more that you allow God to do that and the more that you are obedient to God when he nudges you that way, the greater the confidence that you're going to have and that God wants to use your life and that God can come through and be what you need him to be in every situation. It's an exercising of faith. Faith must be exercised. Why? Because it builds strength and it builds confidence. Thirdly, this morning, I would say that faith must trump reason. Faith must trump reason. Two thoughts about this this morning. Number one, it's not very good English, but it makes the point. Faith doesn't figure. If you can figure it out, it's not faith. If you can make it work on paper, it's not faith. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 25. We look and see, again, as the Apostle Apostle Paul is addressing uh, now the church at Corinth, and he says in chapter, uh, chapter 1 verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Hey, I've got to figure this out, Pastor. No, you don't. Not if God told you to do it. Just do what God said to do. If you can figure it out, it's not faith. In chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, in verse 5, he says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If it works in the wisdom of men, it's not faith. I'm just saying this morning that faith doesn't figure. And I would say this morning also that Abraham and Sarah... Uh, that faith, their faith defied logic. Faith and great faith will defy logic. In Romans chapter 4, uh, we're told again about Abraham and his belief in God and his trust. It says in verse 20 and 21, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised He was able also to perform. Do I believe that God will do what God said he will do? Do I believe him? Have I lived testing him and and walking by faith so that I know from the experience of my life and my interaction with God that I can have confidence in him and that I can trust him that my faith is growing and building because God is working in my life. Faith must trump reason. And then lastly, this morning, I would say that faith must be then relied upon. Faith must be relied upon. Hey, listen, when the time comes, I have to rely on my faith. A lot of us talk a great game until trouble comes. We talk about how great our faith is and how good God is until trials come. And then if God doesn't meet our expectation or we're unwilling to step out and exercise faith, The message is that faith must be relied upon. He said again in the the blind men in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 29, when they come to Jesus, would would you heal us? And he said, according to your faith. According to your faith. Pastor, I, 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 I want God to speak to me in a way here. Will he do it according to your faith? Pastor, I need God to meet this need. Will he meet it according to your faith? Pastor, I need God to encourage my soul, lift me out of this moment of this this time of depression that I'm going through. Will he do it according to your faith? 
Faith must be relied upon. God can be trusted even whenever it seems difficult. God can be trusted even in hard times. God can be trusted especially in hard times. Faith must be relied upon. Trusting God's promises over my intellect. Am I this morning willing to go to his word, to learn it, to hear it proclaimed, to meditate on that which I've read, studied, and heard preached, to let it penetrate my heart and my soul and to be drawing me to God and allowing God to lead my life through it and because of it, I am learning to trust God's promise more than my intellect or understanding. See, we always, we get to the point, okay, God, just convince me, convince me, convince me. And God's just saying, I already told you. Just trust me. Just trust me. Now, obviously, there are things in life in which we want to pray and if God's leading us and we want God to confirm that and we want to, before we step out on faith, have God uh, make it clear to our heart that that's what he's doing in our life. But once he's made it clear, step out. Just step out. Launch out into the deep and see what God will do. See how God will work and how God will draw us to him and how God will grow us. Faith, if it's not strengthened, will fail. But a faith that's strengthened. And faith can only be strengthened in trial and in testing. In Luke chapter 22, <clears throat> Jesus says to Peter in verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. Sift you, that he might pulverize you and grind you. It's like putting a grain of wheat between a, mill, a millstone and a mill and having it ground and pulverized to a powder. Satan wants to grind you like wheat. But I have prayed for thee. And Jesus says to him, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. When you've been beat down, when you failed, when I've come to you and restored you, when I've lifted you up, when you've learned what it is that I was striving to teach you, strengthen the brethren. My friends, this morning, there's some things that God wants to do in your life and how God wants to use you that he can't do it until he's proven your faith. So God knows my heart. God knows what faith I'm capable of. He doesn't need to prove your faith to himself. He needs to prove your faith to you. Because in so doing, he causes you to realize that I can trust God. I can have a life that has a faith that is a sustaining faith. I need not fear when disease comes. I need not fear when heartache comes. I need not fear... Uh, when a brokenness comes and when financial ruin comes. I need not fear when, uh, when, uh, when those that are close turn on us. We need not fear uh, when society around us collapses and the world attacks us. We need not fear. Why? Because we have a faith that can sustain us. A sustaining faith. Jesus didn't say, all I want to do is give you enough faith to trust me as your Savior so that you don't have to go to hell and spend an eternity in a lake of fire. Jesus said, I want to give you faith unto life. And I want to give you life that's abundant. And I want to use your life to strengthen the brethren, to bring the lost to me, to be 
have you strong enough that I can put you in trust with the gospel so that you can be me to the world around you. Say, Pastor, I can be Jesus in a manner of speaking. But the reality is, is that when that happens, what's actually happens is that I've died to myself and I'm letting Jesus live through me. How can I let go of myself? I've got to have faith. How can I die to self in faith? How can I believe that God would do something meaningful with me through faith? Doesn't matter the level of education. Doesn't matter your level of financial achievement. It doesn't matter this morning whether you live in the biggest house in the church or you're living in a tent under the bridge somewhere. What matters is that if you have a faith that sustains, that God will glorify himself in you. Oh, pastor, I want that kind of faith. How can I have it? Feed it. Study. Be preached to. Meditate. And then take that which you've fed on and exercise it. And when you've used it, and when God reveals himself to you in it, and God glorifies himself, you'll understand that there's a God in heaven who gave me a faith that will sustain me, that I must feed, that I'll exercise. I'll step out and do things that I never dreamed that I would do. I would have looked back and said, man, how does that person have that kind of faith? May God help you to be the one that people are looking at and saying, how could they have that kind of faith? How is that going to happen when you walk with God and trust to God long enough to realize that I can rely upon him? Not because of who I am, but because he's God. And that's who he is.